When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over at The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on Light Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. We are recording this week's show on Sunday, October 22nd, and we're 24 hours out now from you having panel back-to-back at Animation is Film Festival. That's right. That's right. I did uh, the Wish presentation, and then I went straight into Trolls Band Together. So (laughs) if you were there yesterday, I hope you enjoyed either one or both or whatever. Speaking of enjoying, you mentioned on last week's show that you were going to get the chance to catch Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Now, which one did you see? Did you see the IMAX or the Standard? I saw the IMAX. It was the IMAX premiere in America, Ooh. I believe. Uh, and this was at the Chinese, the TCL, mm-hmm. the, the main, the big, you know, theater. It was it was very special. Yeah, ran into to Phil and Chris, you know, from oh. uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Verse. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so there were a lot of people who were there just that were just excited to see this movie and were fans of animation. And um, yeah, it was a very lovely, lovely evening out on the town. Just this week, G-Kids revealed the voice cast for the version that's dropping on December 8th, I want to say. Yeah, December 8th. So, And it's Christian Bale, you know, it's, it's William Dafoe, it's Mark Hamill. Now, was this the English dub or the subtitle? What this was, was it? The, the subtitle. The English dub will come out on the 8th, mm-hmm. and I think you'll just have a... There'll be two different, you know, theater listings for whichever one you want to watch. But I thought it was interesting that Christian Bale, this is the second Miyazaki movie that he has featured in. He was Howl in the Americanized Howl's Moving Castle as well. He was. So, um, yeah, but but so it was Japanese, the Japanese language. So this is the first new film from Hayao Miyazaki in 10 years, released in Japan back on July 14th to great acclaim. In fact... Then people were talking about how, geez, I got to go back another time to pick up all the nuances. So what's your take on it? I really loved it. It is very autobiographical mm-hmm. in some ways that we can talk about after you watch it and more mm-hmm. people have seen it. Okay. But absolutely beautiful animation, a really ravishing story, mm-hmm. you know, set during World War II, you know, based mm-hmm. on, a, on a story that he had where he he was moved away from Tokyo by his family, so they were living in the, the you know, Japanese countryside, mm-hmm. and what happens there, you know, this is also following the death of his mother, and yeah, it's a really fascinating, very Miyazakian story, um, <laughs> in all the ways okay. that you, you expect it to be, you know. Okay. We're a month and change out, I gotta, you know, maintain some mystery here. What do you say, Miyazakian? I <laughs> I understand completely, you know, and it's you like know. not my first time to the the bathhouse, so to speak. Yes, yes. Okay, so all right, we'll we'll revisit it, this folks, after the first week of December again. 
Boy and the Heron comes out in North America Friday, December 8th. Thanks again to the folks at G-Kids. Now, right after you did, you know, your, now your two panels at Animation is Film, you then had to hustle over to Gallery Nucleus because they were doing a signing but also a presentation there about the art of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, right? That's right. Yeah, there were like six panelists, you know, everyone from Woodrow White who did all the designs for the turtles to mm-hmm. this amazing woman who did all the 3D models and kind of translated his uh, art mm-hmm. style. And it was wonderful. It was really a, a really lovely afternoon. A lot of mm-hmm. people were there and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was very fun. I love okay. I love Mutant Mayhem, so I was happy to help. Very early on, you were very enthusiastic about this. But you also mentioned that the theatrical release for this was August 2nd of this year. But the digital, it showed up on digital surprisingly early, didn't it? Like Yeah, September like September 1st? 15th or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And now it's on Paramount Plus. So if you haven't watched it, you mm-hmm. have no excuse. You've got to see it. It's so good. The Steelbook in 4K Ultra HD, the Blu-ray and, and the DVD, they actually hit store shelves on December 12th, yes. just four days after the, the new Miyazaki goes out in theaters. And I'm kind of intrigued by that whole in theaters for four weeks, available on, you know, as a, a, a digital download on September 1st, and then streaming on uh, Paramount Plus on the 19th. And this is a really highly regarded IP at Paramount. And, and your plans are already underway. What, we've got two seasons of a animated series that that keys off of this film and then a, another theatrical release set in the exact same world and as a guy who grew up with the Disney vault I mean the whole notion of you release an animated film then you take it off the market for, deliberately for seven years and wait for another generation of, of animation fans to come into the world and then you put it out again does it strike you as interesting that they're going through the entire revenue cycle inside of just five months or, or, or am I wrong here? Yeah, the old it, it is weird. And, and as a, a fan of physical media and a fan of mm-hmm. movies in general, mm-hmm. it also is kind of sucks to want to watch it again. So then you buy it on digital and then you buy it physically a few months later and then you just have a code, you know, a code sitting there. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If it's keeping movies, I guess, in theaters and also making mm-hmm. the product more valuable in these second and third generations of, you know, exhibition, I guess it's mm-hmm. worth it. But I do think it's weird that the digital is, is so early and the physical is so late. It just seems, yeah. it seems weird. It's interesting you talk about value because all too often studios look at their libraries and it's like, ah, that's old. Nobody's going to want to see that. And just this week... We lost Edward Blear. Do you know Mr. Blear? No, I don't. By the way, died at the age of 94 this past Tuesday at his home in, in New York. If you're an animation fan, you owe Edward a lot, all right? Because he was the bright young executive at ABC who back in the late 1950s reached out oh, to Warner yes. Brothers. Yes. There yes. we go. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, tell this, finish telling the story. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, this guy was the one who said, look, all those those Looney Tunes and those Merry Melodies you have in the vault, we'd like to buy the TV rights to those. And ABC wasn't entirely sure about Edward's idea. You know, in, in fact, initially, 
they put together what they called the Bugs Bunny Show. And they showed it starting in primetime in October of 1960. And it wasn't the ratings bonanza that they had hoped it would be. But Blear was nothing if not persistent. He, he explained to the other folks who were the, the network, look, we got to give Bugs another chance. Only this time, instead of putting the Looney Tunes on at a time when most kids were already in bed, we should air this show when most kids are, are going to be awake. We should put it on the air on Saturday morning. And so that version of the Bugs Bunny show debuts on ABC April of 1962, immediate rating smash. And Warner Brothers, which, again, had all of these films lying there, you know, all these animated shorts lying in, in the studio vault doing nothing, suddenly had this amazing new revenue stream because kids wanted toys that had Bugs and Daffy and that sort of stuff on it. So as a thank you for Edward Blair creating this new revenue stream, Warner Brothers hires him in 1968, and he then becomes one of the, the early pioneers of, of cable television that he identified, look, you know, people will pay extra for special stuff. And so if you like MTV, you like Nickelodeon or the movie channel, that's Edward Blair's work right there. And then uh, late in his career, he circles back to his first love, which was animation for television. And he's the guy who reached out to Steven Spielberg and persuaded him to throw his weight behind creating a whole new set of Looney Tune-inspired shows. So if you're a fan of Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, or Freakazoid, you've got Edward Blair to thank. Wow, Jim, the, the hysteria... Uh, erasure. All right, all right. You know that. <laughs> you know, look, hysteria is the bridge too far. I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if you've ever actually watched hysteria, there's a couple of really interesting ideas. Like, isn't it George Washington is done as if he's Bob Hope? Yes. There's some really interesting ideas there, but they're just it, it, the notion of let's do an educational animaniacs because. People enjoyed it when Yakko did the name of the country. You know, again, I get it. It didn't work. Also, you got to remember that you couldn't just put these things straight on television. You had to sort of create a framing device. So, you know, it was kind of interesting as they were able to do that. Thanks largely to the fact that the guy who had voiced the Looney Tunes back in the, the 40s and the 50s, Mel Blanc, was still around. In fact, one of Mel's very last jobs was voicing Bugs and Daffy for uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And of course, on that uh, Robert Zemeckis film, it was Wayne Allwayne who did the voice of, of Mickey. And we lost Wayne back in, in May of 2009 uh, due to complications from acute diabetes. But I have to assume if Wayne had still been around, he would have been the guy who they tapped to do Mickey's voice for Once Upon a Studio, which, by the way, you did get to see again after so many months earlier yeah, in Fantasy, yeah. right? Well, didn't okay. I say last on the last show that the, it would be on Disney Plus before that episode there ran? There we go! And there we go! What happened, Jim? What <laughs> happened? It's like I've got this, you know, sixth sense or something, you know. Also in the 16th, uh, Disney Channel, uh, likewise Freeform, likewise uh, FX. And it was playing in the Main Street Cinema or somewhere. Oh, it was playing in the uh, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln 
theater, uh, but you know, before you go in where they have kind of the the miscellaneous and the little bench, uh, they were playing oh. it in there on in Disneyland as well. So okay. it was everywhere. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure, just like me, you watched it over and over again and then read the credits. And I was fascinated to see who they got to voice Mickey. And I always mangle this guy's name. I'm going to try. Chris Diamantopoulos. Did I get that right? Chris well, Diamantopoulos. Close, close, close enough. <laughs> He's the Mickey okay. from the Paul Ruddish shorts. It's, That's it exactly. Yeah. That's it exactly. And... That series of shorts started in 2013. And one of the reasons that Paul picked Chris was because he had just done Mo Howard in that uh, Three Stooges film. And Paul really liked Chris's energy and felt more to the point that the type of shorts he wanted to do with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy had to have that sort of 1930s comedy, you know, energy, you know, the, the, the Mo, Larry, Curly kind of feel. And since then, they did a hundred of those Paul Ruddish Mickey shorts, uh, the two holiday specials. In fact, we, we just had sort of the cap for the series, uh, Steamboat Silly, this past summer. And what I love is that Chris, all of that time, has done the great, crazy Mickey, the Mo Howard-esque Mickey. But what I loved about Once Upon a Studio is he can really do the sincere Mickey. Yeah. I mean, I so enjoyed his performance, though that said, there's a couple of places in the past week where I have seen his performance in Once Upon a Studio referred to as his last vocal performance as Mickey. Have you heard anything about this? I haven't, and I don't think that's true. I think it's it's his last performance until his next performance as Mickey is how I feel. Thank you. Because again, I just, I mean, no disrespect to, to Brett Iwin, who, who actually also does Mickey, in fact, but he largely does Mickey for the Disney Junior stuff, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or the Mickey uh, Mouse's Mixed Up Adventures, that sort of thing. And did you see just this past month that Brett did the official 95th birthday portrait for Mickey? I was going to say that he, he draws Mickey, too. Which he is does. So great. He does. And he, I mean, he did an amazing job, but it's just sort of like, I mean, again, no disrespect to Brett. If Chris wants to keep doing Mickey, especially after what he did with Once Upon a Studio, I say, yeah, go do it. Yeah. He, yeah, he will, he will be back. I am sure of it. I mean, I don't, I don't think that the reddish shorts are done by any stretch of the imagination. I just think that they have, have been doing them, you're right, consistently for 10 years and that they need a little break. But at the same time, did you see the latest Stupid Buddies stop motion, uh, Mickey and and? Oh, I heard it was wonderful. The Halloween special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, heard it I was mean, great. Well, you know, it's just it's kind of interesting to see Witch Hazel done in stop motion. Oh, but I yeah, love I mean, that. I love that. Well, we're checking out okay. if only to see Minnie Mouse in spider form. Okay. So, okay. All right. Anyway, speaking of voice work. I've always been a big fan of, of, of Dana Snyder. Uh, love what he's done with Scratch over on Ghost and Molly McGee. And, of course, loved his take on Master Shake. Uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force kind of bummed me out when Adult Swim pulled the plug on that show back in August of, of 2015 after 11 seasons. But January of this year, they announced that Aqua Teen Hunger Force was coming back for a 12th season. Only five episodes, mind you, but 
Original voice cast is back. Dana is Master Shake. Casey Means is Frylock. And series co-creator Dave Willis is both Meatwad and Carl, the disgruntled next-door neighbor. That debuts November 26th. By the way, if you wish for Mr. Schneider to uh, personalize your Master Shake merch, he's going to be appearing at GalaxyCon December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, just days after the Season 12 premiere of Aquatine Hunger Force. And that's going to be held at the Greater Columbus Convention Center. And if you see Dana, tell them that Jim and Drew said hi. But short 12th season, only five episodes. But is that better than a limited theatrical release. And we pivot now back to Paramount Pictures, the nice folks who put Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Mutant Mayhem, out in theaters earlier this summer. And back in July of 2019, uh, they announced with great fanfare that Jersey Krabs was about to get into production. And new animated feature to be directed by David Soren, who uh, helmed Turbo in 2013. And Captain Underpants, the first epic adventure in 2017 for DreamWorks Animation. And David co-wrote the script with Lauren Scafaria. And at that time, Drew, uh, Jersey Krabs was described as a Grease-like musical, which, again, given that Paramount made Grease... Makes sense they green light this thing. Story set at the Jersey Shore. A DNG was supposed to handle the animation. Uh, a July 2022 release date was announced. But then there was the pandemic and virtually every film Hollywood had in production slid. Okay, Jersey Crabs undergoes a title change. It's now known as Under the Boardwalk. And we didn't hear anything about it being released to theaters until just last week where Under the Boardwalk is getting a limited theatrical release. In fact, this coming Friday, October 27th. And are you seeing billboards or, or signage or anything like that out, out west? Or? No, I mean, I haven't even seen any promotional images besides that teaser poster they released. I mean, this thing has been in production for so long. Animation was completed in February 2021. Oof. So this thing has been sitting on a shelf. And as we know with animation, it's just like... You know, every year is a different, you know, completely different pipeline, a completely different set of tools for animation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this thing is going to look a little dusty. But David Soren is an amazing director. And, you know, this is, I think, Lauren's first movie since Hustlers, which is like... Mm. Excellent. If you've... Oh, she directed the the Jennifer Lopez uh, mm -hmm. concert documentary. But... Hustlers is just great, and that was 2019. So I mean, I feel like this. I feel like the movie is going to be really cute and fun. Mm -hmm. I just am very confused by this rollout and what the intention is, because it, it looks like it's going to hit PVOD on November 7th, right? Is that what? That's you're it exactly. And no, I mean, you know, in theaters, very limited run. You know, on on the 27th, and then 10 days later. On video on demand, and given its vocal cast, Michael Cera, Bobby Cannavale, Kiki Palmer, it should do well in the premium video on demand. If space. people know about it, maybe. I mean, mm. that's the thing. It's coming out in five mm. days, and the two idiots who this thing should be <laughs> catering to have not seen or heard a damn thing about it. So. Listen, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I I don't I don't know if it's I'm sure it's playing out here. Maybe it's an awards uh, play, Jim. For that could be do the know. theatrical I mean. brief theatrical exhibition. But mm -hmm. yeah, 
we'll we'll talk more about awards maybe next week because it's a very okay. open field this mm-hmm. year. I'm very interested in what will make the cut. Yeah, we're just reading about how the producers and the actors are supposed to sit or sit down again this Tuesday. In fact, the day this podcast goes live, and you know, once again, begin negotiations because it's like we're a hundred days now into the strike. Each and- side will take a weapon of its choice, Jim, <laughs> and. <laughs> The pummeling will begin. But actually, on the subject of movie, you know, new animated movies, if anyone is going to Lightbox uh, this week, I am hosting the Leo panel next Sunday. Are you really? Yeah, oh, on wow. the 28th, I want to say. So come by and say hi and see how they made Leo, which is um, oh. our friends at uh, Animal Logic did the animation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be very, very oh, nice. That is- so cool to hear. Yeah. Circling back to uh, Under the Boardwalk. Again, I think one of the things we need to accept is that it is just a very different business these days. In fact, somebody else who thinks so is is Pete Doctor, And we will have more about what the current head of Pixar thinks and also what the old head of that animation studio is up to. Plus, Drew will talk about what he learned while hosting the, the panel for Disney Wish at the, this year's Animation is Film Festival. But first, this. We- Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. We have previously talked on this podcast a lot over the past few months about Pixar's Elemental, which again, back in June of this year when the Peter Som film was first released, was quickly dismissed by a lot of people who were my side of the street as, you know, that animation studio's biggest flop, or, or one of that animation studio's biggest flops. Only to then, by the time Labor Day rolled around, to have grossed uh, nearly $500 million worldwide. And Blu-ray of Elemental went on sale on September 26th. And according to what friends at Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment are telling me, it's expected to sell 800,000 units look between him, now and Christmas. St- I have the Steelbook blue, uh, 4K right here, Jim, if you'll look into your Ooh. camera. Ooh. Isn't that pretty? That is pretty. Yeah. Oh, don't make me have to buy a second copy of this thing. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, again, picking up on what we were just talking about with Under the Boardwalk, what's the lesson here? I mean, is it that the entertainment press shouldn't be so quick when it comes to labeling a theatrically released film a hit or a flop? And and Pete Docter, the, the, the head of uh, Pixar Animation Studio, argues that what we all really need to do here is to take in the new entertainment ecosystem. And I don't know if you saw the piece that Brooke Barnes did with Dr. This would have been published October 3rd or thereabouts on New York Times. But I'm kind, I'm kind of cooled off on Brooke after <laughs> some recent pieces. I get, but yeah, I, 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 will I, check I it get out. that. Yeah. By the way, folks, you have to pay for the Rap Pro to get this. But Drew just wrote an amazing story about the Halcyon, the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and how maybe the last voyage wasn't the last voyage. Yes. And uh, 
That, that was some great reporting. Oh, by thank the way. you. I, I thought you would like that Warner Brothers thought of doing a Game of Thrones experience, and after the Halcyon. Um. Yeah. Didn't work out. They canceled that that experience, which is very interesting. Anyway, yeah. Thank you for the I mean, plug, I, Jim. I I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It's uh, it's if you're a fan of the Halcyon or you did it or you wanted to do it, I think it's an interesting. No, no, no. Absolutely, thing. absolutely. I think you did a great job of, of summing up what worked, what didn't, and what. Potentially lies over the horizon. There we go. All right. Anyway, uh, back to what Pete shared with Brooks. It's like, look, there has been an overall shift in viewing habits as a result of the pandemic. But we've also told fans of our films, thanks to Soul and Luca and Turning Red being released on Disney Plus rather than theatrically, that, hey, all of this stuff is eventually going to be available to you on Disney Plus. So there's no need to rush out to see this movie while it's out in theaters. And so to hear Doctor Talk, what initially drove down ticket sales for Elemental was the knowledge that P this Peter Som movie would eventually wind up on, on Disney streaming service. And conversely, what ultimately helped Elemental to persist at the box office this past summer and, and ultimately, you know, find its footing and, and you know, find an audience was was strong word of mouth with people telling friends that they just saw this great new Pixar movie and that it's really good and you should go see it. And when is the last time you saw a movie driven by good word of mouth? It's rare. And I think mm. what's interesting is that if this had been even five years ago, a mm -hmm. brand new Pixar movie with a hook that this that is this engaging emotionally, mm -hmm. it would have made a mm -hmm. billion dollars, no problem. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And then you yeah. saw it kind of, you know, <laughs> crawl along and make four hundred million, and which is mm -hmm. a great milestone, especially at the Walt Disney Company, that a company that does not know how to market anything new. I mean, it is so on autopilot. You know, it's like, oh, it's a live action version of Little Mermaid. Oh. It's mm -hmm. a sequel to, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. This was an original movie. It was mm -hmm. totally unique and totally, uh, but but very much in the Pixar wheelhouse. And I'm just so mm -hmm. glad that people did tell their friends to go see it. There was nothing mm -hmm. for kids this summer to watch. Mm -hmm. And it was a really special movie. And I'm so glad that it, um, that it had its day. And, and from what I understand, not to mm -hmm. step on a, a further conversation, but it is a front runner um, mm -hmm. for the best animated feature Oscar right now, as far as I've I've been told. So I would get behind that idea just to have Peter at the podium. If there's ever anybody I want to hear give a speech about the journey of a film, that, that, that well, would and be you know Peter. That Doug's, would be, Doug's uh, yeah. or uh, Carl's first date is also in contention for the best animated short. So we got we want Bob up there too. So, you we know, do. yeah, we do. that would be cool. Okay, so. Circle back to this interview with the New York Times. Uh, where it got especially interesting is Doctor then started talking about the next few Pixar films, the ones that are currently in development at that animation studio. Pete starts off by initially praising this Peter Song film. He says, always felt that Elemental would speak to a lot of people, and I'm so happy it has. But that said, we have also taken another look at the projects we are working on now. Uh, because I really think we need Pixar to double down on what allowed us to speak to audiences to begin with. You get back to the sorts of universal stories that we initially told, ideas that we carried around 
with us as kids. So translation here, less personal stuff like Elemental and Turning Red and Luca and more universal storytelling like, say, a Toy Story or a Monsters, Inc. or Incredibles. And the same story goes on to talk about how Pixar is making an effort to you know, reduce its production costs. But that those sorts of discussions are going on everywhere. In fact, yes. early uh, this month, uh, in fact, back on October 11th, we, we learned that layoffs were underway at Netflix Animation. And uh, Variety reported that these layoffs were because Netflix was now looking to do less animation in-house, which seemed a little weird to me because earlier this year, that streaming service had just won its first Academy Award for feature animation for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, not to mention the praise that got heaped on Nimona and also, not to mention that two of Netflix's most anticipated you know, upcoming releases were Ardman's sequel to the original Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, and Leo, a new animated family comedy with title character voiced by Adam Sandler, which, again, Drew is going to be doing a panel about <laughs> at, at the Lightbox Expo. So go see that next week. Yes, come see, come see us. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we're about to talk about why that might be. Yes, yes. But there was huge news. I mean, when I, I got the, I got this kind of as a heads up because I am following this story, but I was shocked when I heard what this is. And should I just say it, Jim, what, what we learned this week? It's important to note that Netflix, the subscription streaming service, it already has output deals in place with outfits like DreamWorks Animation, Illumination, Nickelodeon, and Sony Pictures Animation. So it wasn't necessarily that... Netflix was actually getting out of the animation business, but rather just to lower its in-house cost by farming up production for this sort of product to others. And so who else joined the people who are producing movies for Netflix? Well, in a very striking move, uh, Skydance Animation, which was responsible for luck and is currently being overseen by John Lasseter, late of Pixar, is moving its entire feature slate to Netflix. So that includes Spellbound, which is coming out in a few months in 2024, which I've seen a large portion of at Annecy last year. Uh, it has news songs by Alan Minken and Glenn Slater. And they mentioned it in the articles or the press release, so I have to assume it is still alive. Mm -hmm. Brad Bird's Ray Gun, as well as Rich Moore's fairy tale story, which they say is a Jack and the Beanstalk story. I have not heard that. I have heard it is codenamed Gothic. It is more, mm -hmm. more irreverent than that. But both of those projects, which I had heard were in serious trouble with the former Apple TV Plus mm -hmm. output deal, seem to be safe uh, within this new Netflix configuration. So, and wasn't there some mention of a Nathan Grano film yes, as well? Yes, Puku, which has yeah. also been in development for a million years. I mean, mm -hmm. almost since Skydance Animation started in 2017. Um, and mm -hmm. that feels like it has kind of an Emperor's New Groove type thing mm -hmm. where like two animals switch places mm -hmm. or something. So all of that is is on the table. All the TV output is still staying at Apple TV+. Plus. Skydance, the main Skydance has a very profitable relationship with Apple TV Plus. They did Ghosted and, and other things. So mm -hmm. all of that stays in place. But all of the Skydance animation movies are going through Netflix. And I do wonder if there mm -hmm. will be an, a theatrical component 
for Brad and Rich's movies because I know that that was a sticking point at Apple TV. Um, hmm. So I think it's a good thing. I, I hope that this streamlines maybe some of the Netflix animation uh, output. There are projects that we cannot talk about on air that we know about that are going on at Netflix that people will be mm-hmm. very excited about in terms of the partnerships. And mm-hmm. um, But, you know, immediately I texted friends who are making original movies for Netflix, and I said, is your movie still happening, mm-hmm. or is it all going to be these partnership deals? And they are still happening. So hopefully okay. we can talk more about those later. But, you know, it's um, it's an interesting time for Netflix animation. I think they, like, every, like you said, Jim, everybody is tightening their belts. Everybody is trying mm-hmm. to streamline production. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next year is just going to be an absolute jackpot in terms of just people scrambling to get things together and to get things out because of the strikes. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just hope this helps in some way at least alleviate some of the stresses and get more great animated product on Netflix. Because you're right. They have a great animation track record and are continuing Absolutely. with it. So, Absolutely. Did you see that they're showing footage from... Ultraman Rising um, as part of Netflix Geeked Week in Octo- in November, I guess it is. No. Yeah, a project you and I have been very excited about for very, a long time. Very, yes. very, and for multiple reasons, which we yes. can't talk about yet. We can't but, talk you know. about it yet. No, but yeah, yes. okay. Well, all right. Let's hopefully now pivot to something you can talk about, which was your panel for Disney's Wish uh, likewise, the the panel that you hosted immediately thereafter for Dream, which I was completely uh, prepared for and knew was happening the whole time, Jim. You know, yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that, that's right. I can see your fingers crossed from here. Okay, uh, but yes, for uh, trolls band together. So, all right, let let's start on the Disney side side of the street. So, uh, which theater at the TCL uh, Chinese Theater Six did you wind it up in? How big a house? We were in uh, we were in Theater Six, uh, which is a big house mm-hmm. on the main floor. And you know what was a thrill for me was that I hadn't seen a lot of this footage, Jim. I had seen mm-hmm. the footage at Annecy last year that Fawn okay. and Chris were not around for because they were mm-hmm. trying to finish the movie. But a lot of great stuff. The kind of like intro. You'll mm-hmm. love that when the movie starts out, uh, Asha, our hero, uh, played by Ariana DeBose, is a she is a tour guide for the Kingdom of Rosas. So she show is showing people around and telling them mm-hmm. about, and it's a wonderful song by Julia Michaels. Kind of the it, it reminded me of the Encanto song a little bit of like here's here's what the deal is. Um, really great, and then they showed eighteen uninterrupted minutes. A footage which was really striking. And Jim, you are just going to love this animation style. It does not mm-hmm. come across in the TV spots or the mm-hmm. trailers or whatever just how cool this movie looks. Mm. It's almost a reverse Roger Rabbit in the sense that the backgrounds are so flat and the characters are mm-hmm. three-dimensional. It's really interesting. Wow. And then okay. they ended it up, Jim, with the big villain song by mm-hmm. Chris Pine, which is an absolute hoot. And the crowd was going nuts over, as you can imagine. But it was almost like 30 minutes of footage. Really, really cool. But, you know, you also in the footage, you got to see some things, some some mm. of the nods to Disney movies of the past. You and I were seated together at the D23 presentation, mm-hmm. and we were mm-hmm. a little puzzled by that presentation. Yeah. Because you know they you know they were like it's it's a reference there are references to other Disney movies and we were sort of like what in the, what is going on with like we it was very hard to wrap your 
brain around, mm-hmm. but I will say mm-hmm. at the end of one of these scenes where like the forest comes alive, a deer is referred to as Bambi and a bear oh. is referred to as John. And okay. so you are getting hints of the entire Disney, you know, magical ecosystem being part of this movie. And it's really fun, very clever. Interesting. Okay. Also makes um, it weird that Once Upon a Studio is not in front of it. I still think that's bizarre. But I was just puzzled as to how Disney has done the rollout. But on the other hand, I can turn on you know Disney Plus at any time and watch it now. And it makes me happy. So I'm going to stop complaining. Okay, pivoting to your other panel, uh, the one you were so prepared for, Trolls Band Together, kind of the same setup, show a a bunch of footage and then sit down with the creatives? Well, they actually saw the whole movie, which is very cool. Um, Oh. Yeah, so they got to see it. um, Mm -hmm. And then I was joined by Walt Dorn, the director, Gina Shea, the producer, Ruben Perez Reynoso, who is the production designer, Colin Jack, head of story, and Ben Willis, head of character animation. So it was a good mixture of story people as well as technical people. And, yeah, I mean, I love this movie. I think I can say that. I mean, they showed it to the public, so I think I can say that I loved it. Um, And uh, it was really fun to chat, you know, because you and I are both so taken by the kind of, like, aesthetic of the Trolls world. Oh, yeah. And that's really saying something three films in. But yeah. they have been clever all the way through here. In fact, people you know, commented so strongly about the hand-drawn sort of vignette in the trailer. How, how does the full-size section of that play? Oh, it's good. They actually, they actually loved it so much. They worked with Titmouse on the animation, which, you know, we love them. And mm-hmm. they loved it so much they added another animated, traditional animated section. So you get a little bit more than even they were planning oh. for. It's a hoot, and you'll mm. love that. There's one world they go to called Vacation Kingdom or something, mm. and they uh, mm. everything is made out of things you would get at the pool. So it's like pool <laughs> floaties and uh, those noodles and all mm-hmm. of that. That's what the whole world is made out of. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you know you you gotta love the gimmick this time around of the, getting the band back together and. Boy, did people react to that when the, the the trailer dropped for this? Yeah, we talked about that at the at the panel. Apparently, it was so secret that only a handful of people at the studio even knew. So, you know, Gina Shea, the producer, said, you know, four hundred people work on this movie. I could not have four hundred people knowing that NSYNC was back together <laughs> for this show. So it was very interesting. But they they all loved it. They. The members of NSYNC had a had a hand in designing what the their characters look like in the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, so it was it was really interesting and and fun to hear about that. And then <laughs> you literally come off the stage and go straight to Gallery Nucleus and and do the the pen. Jeez, you know my jaw w- w- would be sore from from that much. Well, you have an interesting story. To yeah, tell I had to be right? interested in a lot of things for a long time yesterday. Um, no, I mean, what was great about the the Ninja Turtles thing was that, you know, they did the, they did sort of mini presentations on, you know, mm-hmm. the look of the movie and, and how they they got into it. And, you know, the only time that everybody was quiet, Jim, was when I turned to everyone and said, are you working on the sequel right now? And then it was just sort of like blank faces, you know. But uh, I am sure everyone will be back. And actually some of them, 
mm-hmm. are working on that TV show you mentioned, Jim, the kind of in-between show. Mm-hmm. So um, really looking forward to that because it'll be 2D and, um, yeah, very cool. Drew was there at Gallery Nucleus yesterday because the art of book for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem came out earlier this month. Well worth uh, picking up. I, I enjoyed that very much myself. And But also worth noting that the art of book for Disney Wish comes out uh, October 24th. And as long as we're talking about things that are going to be showing up on store shelves very soon... There is, of course, the Blu-ray for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 uh, that, that shows up on October 31st, uh, Halloween. And, of course, since we're talking about Mission Impossible, you know, we have to pivot to talking about Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. So what are you and Charles talking about now? Uh, I think we're, fi- we're finishing up our Eddie Hamilton three-parter this week. We've got a great uh, two-parter with Arthur Anderson, who was actually mm-hmm. a, uh, I think he was a second unit or first unit director on, must have been, yeah, on Mission Impossible 2. And then he was a full-on producer for Mission Impossible 3. So great stories about John Woo and J.J. Abrams. A lot of fun. Um, and also, Jim, to continue our, our conversation last week, Mm-hmm. about the splash event even yep. more mystery because okay. the splash event was held on November 30th 1982 but the mm-hmm. movie didn't open until 1983 so i wonder if that was just a they were so hot on this movie they wanted to preview it early or oh. what but that also explains why the logo is different between the event and the theatrical release and so i pose it to you jim to tell us what happened with this splash event. The splash bash. Maybe someone who's listening was at the splash bash and they can tell us about it. Yeah. More to the point, remembering the details that you mentioned on last week's show to the effect of, you know, who was there. there. Yeah. Everybody was there. You know, Tom Hanks, you know, Daryl Hannah, John Candy, and Ron Howard. And and the notion of, you know, they were putting Sorry, it was 83 and then it came out on March Mm. 9th, 84. There we go. So, there we go. anyway. All right. Circle back to folks, really, seriously, if you're not listening to Light the Fuse, again, which is the official Mission Impossible podcast, but also has great, great stories about all sorts of other movies, you're missing out. And and speaking of podcasts, we have a couple here at Jim Hill Media we'd like you to check out. Uh, we, of course, have Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. Uh, likewise, Looking at Lucasfilm, in fact, I'll be recording a new one of those later tonight with Brian Gaughan. And, of course, we have uh, Marvel Us Disney, which is edited by Aaron Adams, my co-host on that show. He edits all of the other podcasts here as well. And uh, it's worth noting that Aaron has his own outside podcast, uh, 32nd Street, which shines a spotlight on uh, Madison Avenue, well worth uh, a listen And uh, beyond that, I just want to remind folks that uh, Len and my newest project, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series, we're producing this in collaboration with with Jim Schull, a veteran Imagineer, that dropped on Patreon earlier this month. First episode is about the magic carpets of Aladdin, but on uh, November 5th, episode two drops, and that will be about... Crush's Coaster at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. Lots of great behind-the-scenes stories about the parks. And uh, social media. Uh, Now, Drew, 
still on X Twitter, right? Still on X Twitter, and yeah, uh, Drew tailored, um, mm-hmm. and then yeah, I'm on the other ones. I haven't really posted, but I saw you joined Threads or something. I got an alert. The one that's associated with Instagram. I know Nancy has set us up over there. I personally have not posted anything yet, but we're still on Twitter, X, whatever, and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Uh, final favor, folks, if you could do uh, Drew and I a solid and head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also light the fuse, uh, that would be great. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So uh, hopefully Mr. Taylor will come back with uh, all sorts of fun stories from this year's Lightbox Expo, where, again, he's going to be hosting the panel for Netflix Leo, the Adam Sandler uh, animated comedy, which we were talking about last week because it looks so good. So Yes, um, I can't wait. You know, yeah. Yeah, can't, can't wait either. So until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.